Well, I invite, with, invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and as you're turning there, I just want to extend my uh, gratitude to Pastor Drew and to you here at St. Stephen for your hospitality this week and for your partnership in ministry. It was such a blessing to our church at Enverness in Baltimore to have a team from your church come down and really be a, a vision for our church to become a host site for Baltimore And we're partnering with Mission to North America to bring teams in to help make a difference in a very difficult community in Baltimore. And and you guys were the trailblazers to help us uh, get that vision going. And this summer, we have a team from Cameroon, from Africa, coming in to also be there. And uh, we have a sports camp going to be starting and other ministries because you guys were able to partner with us and and help encourage us to go forward in faith. So we, we thank you so much for that uh, support, encouragement, and partnering, and and doing the work of ministry with us. And so, as we look into God's Word today, uh, we're going to be continuing on on this theme of eschatology and end of the world. And eschatology is that system of theology, or the category of theology, that's the study of the last things, the study of the end of the world. It's life after death, but also the end of the world here. And as we look at this passage in 2 Peter... There's an amazing paradigm that's laid out for us of these three worlds, the first heavens and earth, the present heavens and earth, and a new heavens and earth. So as I read through this passage, see if you can follow and catch where each are mentioned, and then we're going to break this passage down today and look into it. I will say this, though, as as Nathan and them were going down to the children, I had a blessing at our, our school or at our church. We have a preschool which your donation blessed the children, and they do extend their, their uh, gratitude as well to you. But I was doing preschool chapel this week, and we were learning about the seed of God's Word and different seeds, grass seed and uh, uh, pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds and how God's Word is a seed. And we eat the sunflower seeds, and they go in down to our belly. And when I plant the grass seeds, the birds eat them, and i got to plant more. But how do we eat the seed of God's Word? Well, we eat it, I told the little children, with your ears. And you hear and listen to God's word, and then you put it not in your stomach, but in your heart. And so let's uh, listen carefully and attentively. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Beginning at verse 1, this is Second Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fall asleep, all Things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that was the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, 
and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and diminished, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. That's a light and a guide to us. And we pray, Lord, you give us wisdom this morning to understand this. Give us grace to live it out, Lord. Strengthen us and bless us that we may bless others with this word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Pastor Drew and I served for many years down in in Florida together. And one of the wonderful families we got to know down there uh, was uh, this godly family. And this godly family, the dad and the one son, the son who's a pastor in Florida, and the dad, just one of the godliest men I've ever met, just a man of the word. They uh, were just a wonderful family. And in fact, the dad even could impersonate Elvis, a gifted man. And, but something would happen in their family when dad and son got together. Dad believed one view of the end of the world, and son, pastor, believed another view. And they would fall into discussions that would consume the family, and they would consume the family. And so finally, mom or the wife stepped in and said, no more end-time discussions for you, like the soup Nazi. No soup for you. And they get to discuss it once a year over a breakfast, the two of them. And it's banned from the house because it created such drama in the house. And now, as we've been studying the end of the world, I hope I don't cause that drama in your house. But these are matters for us to discuss and look at and sit under but to do it with love, to do it with respect, to do it with wisdom, understanding these are difficult matters. Even uh, Peter says some of the things Paul writes about are hard to understand. And so we need to have a, a spirit of love and respect as we wrestle through these amazing things, these important things, things the Bible says God does not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about, but to know, because they have very practical aspects to your everyday Christian life. And at Sunday school, if you were there, we looked at how studying the end of the world, eschatology, equals encouragement. It encourages you to know that Jesus wins, what life after death is like, the the glories to come. It gives you encouragement as you face your own death, as you grieve a loved one's death. 
it gives you great encouragement. It builds your faith. It gives you also a, an encouragement to holiness. Here in our passage, Peter is writing his second letter to this group of elect exiles. He tells them he wants to remind them. He wants them to have a sincere mind that they would remember in this passage the predictions of the holy prophets. He wants them to know these predictions, what the, what the, what's coming into the world. But he wants you to know not only the predictions, but the commands of the Lord that came through the apostles. And so we said at Sunday school, eschatology, it equals encouragement, but eschatology equals ethics. The commands of the Lord. Since these things are going to happen, a fire is going to destroy this world at one day, what kind of person should you be today? You need to be a certain type of person, living holy, godly lives, living out the redemption that's in Christ, not conforming to this world because the world and its desires are passing away. But he who does the will of the Lord is going to abide forever. And so it is by God's grace that we are set free to do that. And so we need to remember these things. And this eschatology also equals evangelism. We're going to see in this passage here that God's delay, why hasn't Jesus returned already? It's because there's still souls to be saved. That he's not willing that any should perish, but that his people should come to repentance from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And until that last soul is called home, he's not coming back. And so the people who mock the second coming, the people that mock, and this is Peter's day. Peter wrote this just a few decades after Jesus had ascended into heaven and gone there, and people are already mocking the promise of his coming. He isn't coming back. This guy, I don't even know if he rose from the dead anymore. The doubt just started creeping in. Even Jesus says in the parable of the persistent widow at the end of that, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And the answer to that is yes, God will have his faithful still there, but it'll be a challenge. And so we need the encouragement and we need the, the fear of the Lord in our hearts to walk in that newness of life and live holiness against this backdrop of evil. And we need to be unashamed of the gospel going forth. And so he wants us to remember these holy, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord. And he says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers are going to be coming. There's scoffers and mockers, and they're going to ridicule the idea of the end of the world. And we know there's some kind of crazy people that go out there and they ring a bell and they put on a suit, the end is near. And there, there's, there's a wise way to witness, and, and then there's a little bit of eccentric ways to witness. But even in our modern day, the idea of the world ending, is, is, it's popular in our culture. Not necessarily Jesus coming, but whether it be an idea of global catastrophe from a global warming or an asteroid or AI is going to take over. It's in our consciousness in some degree. Maybe we destroy ourselves in in nuclear fallout. Those are before our eyes. It's an amazing generation we live in. But yet, even then, there is mockery that God, who created all this, would send his son back and make things all new and right and bring judgment. And so the mockery continues. And it says here that they deliberately forget that God has already done this with the world. This isn't his first rodeo here, this present heavens and earth. The Bible says that there was a heavens and earth that existed long ago in the creation. God, in the beginning, God did what? 
created the heavens and the earth. And he says here that initial creation, that world, was destroyed in the flood. There was violence on the earth, and the thoughts and intents of man's heart was evil continually, and it was wiped out in that flood. Noah found grace in God's eyes, and God starts over with Noah in this present heavens and earth. And if you think about it, Adam sinned. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. A curse and death came upon humanity. Cain murdered Abel. And then um, God says, I'm done with man. You've gotten violent. You're evil. I regret I made you. But Noah finds grace. And then that world's wiped out. But think about Noah. Noah gets off the boat. He gets off the ark. What's the first thing he does? He doesn't go to a garden, but he plants a vineyard. And when the grapes come ripe, what does he do with the grapes? He doesn't make grape jelly or grape jam. He makes wine, and he passes out drunk and naked. He has his own fall, he sins. And then one of his sons, Ham, sees his nakedness, disrespects his father, and then Ham and his son, Canaan, are cursed. And then that world gets so proud, they think, we can do the world without God, They build a tower to the heavens, and God goes down, confuses the languages, confuses the nations, scatters the nations, and brings a judgment at the beginning of this present heavens and earth. But then he calls an unlikely fellow, an idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldeans named Abram, Abraham, a great father who had no children. And he says, you're going to be my man. Abraham finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, sends him to a promised land, and says, I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you, I'm going to give you this land, and I am going to have a son of yours who's going to bless all nations. And when we open the New Testament up, what do we read? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1.1, the son of Abraham, the one who's going to come and bless all nations. God cursed and scattered the nations. Now he sent Jesus to bring the nations back. And that's what the Great Commission is all about, going and make disciples of all nations. God had cursed them and scattered them, set apart Abraham and Israel for a season. And then what happened to them? Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. And what judgment came upon the nation Israel? They were scattered to the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, Luke 21, and they were scattered. And so that's the reality until some have come back into Israel, and, and you see that prophecy of Luke 21 unfolding. But it was judgment. And now now God, though, is building his church made of Jew and Gentile to be a light to this entire world. That Jesus' kingdom isn't just the kingdom of Israel. It's not just the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of Great Britain. It is the kingdom of God made up of nations of every tribe and people of every tribe and tongue. And, And that's the great work we're about. But Peter gets our attention back that people forget that God is holy, and God is just, and God doesn't let the guilty go unpunished, and God isn't going to let sin just reign forever. He sent his son to die for sin because he's a just God, and he's loving and gracious, but he wiped out the ancient world in a flood. And praise God, he's given us the rainbow and promised he'll never destroy the world in a flood again. But he does say he's going to destroy our present heavens and earth in fire. And that's coming, and people don't want to hear about it. They don't want to think about it, but it's coming. And when we go back and think of the original creation, 
God created this world, said, let there be light. There were waters on the face of the deep, mystery where the waters came from, but God put them there at some point. But he says, let there be light, and light appears. And then he separates the sky from the sea, and he makes the air, the sky. Then he says, let there be dry land and vegetation. Then on the fourth day, he takes the light, and he puts it in luminaries, and the sun, moon, and stars across the universe. Uh, Genesis 1, it says, and he made the stars also. What an amazing understatement. We know now there's trillions and trillions of galaxies of stars, and God spoke them into existence on that fourth day. Fifth day, God fills the seas with fish, and he fills the sky with birds. The sixth day, he fills the land with animals and creates man, male and female. We get the account of Eve's creation there in Genesis 2. And then he rests the seventh day. God creates in six days, evening and morning. Exodus 20, Moses tells us that just as God created in six days, you and I are to work six days and rest the seventh. So Moses, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write Genesis, in Exodus 20 tells us these are days, six days. That's how I take them, six 24-hour literal days. It's a historical uh, narrative confirmed by Moses. God created that world, and he did it as a pattern for us. But then we went and corrupted it and turned it to evil, and it was destroyed. And people don't want to think about creation because if you have a maker, if you have a creator, what does that mean? You're accountable. People still fall for that lie of Genesis that you're going to be God. You're the one that's going to define good and evil. You'll know good and evil, so you can define it, and you can make it your truth or my truth. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that's our society today. Think they can just define reality. I can get up here and say, I'm a woman, and all of you now have to agree with it, even though that's bearing false witness, because I'm not. But just because I say it doesn't make it real. Only God can speak reality into existence. We're making ourselves gods when we start doing that stuff. We have the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to follow. We don't get to make up our own. And so... We live in a world that doesn't want to be accountable, so they deliberately forget. But the reality of it is, our consciences are real, and we know there's right and wrong and good and evil, and we see it before our eyes. And we've also, because we've rejected God's as our maker and we're accountable to him, we've rejected the law of God, we've lost our dignity and value. We, we don't look at humans. Life is so cheap today. We... we sacrifice children in the womb. We do all kinds of evil now that are open to mutilating children. We don't let children go to certain movies or watch certain TV shows, but we can let them make life-altering decisions and celebrate it. How evil has our society become? And if you stand against it, you're ridiculed and mocked, thinking that you're bigoted. It's craziness. And so we lose the dignity of humanity, the dignity of life, that you're made in God's image. You have an immortal soul. You matter. You're of more value than the sparrows. You're not just an animal. You have an immortal spirit and a body. You're not just a bird. You're not just a fish. You're not just an orangutan. You are a creature made in God's image with dignity and purpose. Your life here matters. God has destined you to reign with him throughout eternity in Christ, but also to fulfill a calling and a destiny right here today. You're here for such a time as this to fulfill a calling. You're foreordained onto good works to be a new creation in Christ and bear fruit for his glory right now. It's not an accident. 
And, and we grow in that through sitting under the word in and, and, and many ways, but renewing our minds. And Peter wants to remember and renew these guys' minds. But don't forget the creation and how significant that is even to this present heavens and earth. It matters. And I want us to look now as we go forward here, though, in verse 7, not only to the first heavens and earth, which is creation to the flood, but our present heavens and earth. It says the heavens and the earth that now exist and Peter goes right here, it says, they're, going to, they're stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So here we see there's a day of judgment, and how are the ungodly going to be destroyed on the day of judgment? Through fire. They're going to be wiped out just like God flooded the world and God rained down fire and brimstone on the world in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to rain down fire. This isn't going to be global warming. This is going to be God's global warming. It's not going to be nuclear bombs. It's going to be fire from heaven destroying the earth and the heavens. And one thing I want to say here is is when the Bible's talking about the heavens and earth, in the Bible there are three heavens that are pretty clear and, and easy to understand. In Genesis 1, what does God create in the heavens? The birds of the heavens, the blue sky. The blue sky, the birds of the heavens, is heaven number one. Then, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's talking about our universe, where the sun, moon, and stars, this, this dimension, this universe that we're in. All right. Then there's a third heaven, a place that preexisted this creation, the place where the apostle Paul was taken up. He says, I was taken up into the third heaven. And he went, went into heaven. He called it paradise, where the angels were created, where the angels dwell, where God dwells where our spirits go when we die. Jesus told the thief on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Same paradise Paul went to and called it the third heaven. And so when the Bible's talking about in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, he's not talking about the third heaven there. He's talking about this universe. And so in the theological grid, he calls the first heavens and earth creation to the flood. Now we're in the present heavens and earth from the flood to the second coming of Christ, and that's going to be destroyed by fire. And you may have heard of a phrase, the last days, the last days. Well, what are the last days? They're the last days of this present heavens and earth. The beginning days, the the first days of this heavens and earth were from Noah to the first coming of Christ, which is a pretty significant period of time. And now we're on from the first coming to the second coming are the last days. And so at some point, these days are going to end. And there's a day of judgment, the last day. And on that last day, Jesus himself is going to return from heaven. First Thessalonians 4, one of the things Paul wrote about that's hard for us to understand at times, but there he lays it out pretty clear. Jesus himself bodily, physically is coming out of heaven, extra dimensionally, coming out, every eye is going to see him, and he's leaving heaven and coming to earth, and in the blue sky, he's going to give a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and what happens? The dead in Christ are going to rise. The dead will rise and become, go from dead in dust to immortal bodies, their spirit and soul reconciled in the sky with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of the dead, an amazing event. And then it says, the dead in Christ will rise first, We who are left alive, who are still breathing on the earth on this day of judgment, this last day, that we will be caught up in the Lord. That's what the the Bible calls the rapture. 
not secret disappearing into heaven, but being caught up, left alive at the second coming to meet the Lord in the air. First is the resurrection, then is the rapture, being caught up. And we're going to go from these mortal bodies into immortal bodies in the twinkling of an eye, and we're going to be flying in the sky. Before you walk in your new body, you're going to fly. And you're going to have the Lord Jesus with the holy angels up in the sky. The dead in Christ will have rised. We who are left alive will be caught up in the air, and we're going to be with the Lord. And what do we get a front row seat of? We get the wrath, this fire the angels pour out. When the seventh seal is opened in Revelation, it says the angels pour out the fire on the earth, and the fire wipes out the ungodly, the destruction of the ungodly. And they go literally from this fire into hellfire. And, and that is, you're going to see it. They put windows on the ark, or God put windows on the ark. He saw the flood. You're going to have a front row seat of the wrath of God destroying this world. And you know what else you're going to have a front row seat of? That's not the end, thank the Lord, is the renewal. This present heavens and earth isn't the end of existence. God is going to destroy this world in fire. You're going to be immortal, untouched by it, and yet he's going to make all things new. John says, behold, I saw a new heavens and earth. Right here, Peter says, we're waiting for the new heavens and earth in which righteousness dwells. And he calls that too, by the way, the day of eternity. It doesn't end. When Jesus returns, he establishes an eternal kingdom with immortal people. There's nobody here, they're going to be destroyed in the fire, or you're going to be immortal reigning with Christ throughout the ages, throughout eternity. Isaiah 66, it talks about the new heavens and earth and that it never ends. And so we, our hope isn't just some thousand-year kingdom that's coming. Our hope is an eternal kingdom. In fact, John Calvin says we don't realize how much we diminish the glory of Christ when we think our hope is some thousand-year reign, not an eternal reign. Maybe, just maybe, we're missing how we read Revelation 20. Maybe that symbolizes an extended period of time between the first and second coming where the saints reign in heaven. It's not about Christ's reign on earth, which is eternal in other passages throughout the Bible. And so that's something to reconcile. Not only that, <clears throat> if we think there's a literal millennium, that Jesus is going to reign and there's going to be evil here, it doesn't coincide with Jesus conquering evil when he comes back. There's some serious issues there. But remember, Jesus' kingdom is eternal. And our time right now, what does Peter reference our time? Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Why is the Lord delayed for 2,000 years and endured his people endured the mockery and the suffering and the difficulty? Well, he is building his kingdom from every nation, tribe, and tongue. He is destined people to be saved, these elect exiles throughout the earth, to come into the kingdom. You know, the gospel will be preached to a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And so when the last soul is saved, then the end's going to come. But until then, Jesus is delaying. And I know in our hearts, especially as we get older, what do we want? We want the Lord to come. We want to dwell in righteousness. We want to have our immortal bodies. But Jesus is delaying so souls can be saved. And maybe you have a friend or a family member who isn't saved yet. Thank the Lord he's delayed. 
because there is hope. Today is still a day of salvation. And God is saying this wrath is coming. God destroyed the ancient world. God cast the angels out of heaven, by the way, and gave Satan and his angels zero grace. Grace is undeserved. What the world deserved was being destroyed in the flood. What our world deserves is being destroyed in fire. We are evil and have offended a holy God, but God still so loved us, he did what? He sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the hope that we have. But the Bible says, what do you think is going to happen to you if you neglect so great a salvation? If you reject Jesus dying on the cross for you, then you're going to have to give an account. And God is only going to allow sin to reign for so much longer. In fact, in, in the heart of a believer, you've been set free. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You're under grace. And God's given you a Holy Spirit to drive out sin. You have remaining sin in you. It's going to be an issue. You're going to battle it the rest of your life. But in a few short years, you'll never sin again. You'll never complain. You'll never lie. You'll never lust. You'll never gossip. In just a few short years, once you reach eternity, it's the spirits, your spirit is perfected in glory. And you'll have an immortal, incorruptible body if you're alive when Jesus returns. And so I said at Sunday school, I know some of you have probably getting all the gossiping and complaining and lust out of your hearts now. And so we do that because we're wicked. But that isn't who you are. You are a new creation in Christ, and you're going to be dwelling in a new heavens and earth, a home of righteousness that's going to reflect that. And it never ends. It's an eternal kingdom that Jesus is establishing. The veil between heaven and earth will be lifted, and you're going to have a home of righteousness to dwell in. And it says here that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavenly things will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And so most of the world is not expecting this to happen. You go into a Hindu society, a Buddhist society, an atheistic society, an apostate Christian society, is their mind on the end of the world? No. I have friends back home in college, and and we've been... uh, from college, and a few times a year we get into text discussions about different sporting events, and so it was the NFL draft. So as I was teaching this eschatology conference all weekend, my phone on silence was blowing up with texts about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions and the Baltimore Ravens and and everybody else. And my friends were not thinking about the end of the world, those that don't know Christ. You know, they knew that the Cincinnati Bengals were on the clock. They don't realize they're on the clock, and this world's on the clock, because there's a day appointed. And we need to, it says here, since all these things, verse 11, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? We're waiting for and hastening the day of God, it's an amazing thing with lives of holiness and godliness. When you think about it, and how is it that God has ordained to save this world, to bring the gospel message to the world? It's through you and I. By living a godly life, how is the woman who's married to an unbelieving husband to evangelize her husband? In 1 Peter 3, in a letter just back, what words is she to use, according to Peter? It says to win him over without a word. 
by the holy conduct of your life, like Sarah of old did. When we have intimate relationships, whether it's husband and wife or family or with children or coworkers or neighbors, people we're around all the time, how are we to witness to them? With lives of godliness and holiness, without a word. Because they'll see a difference. They'll see, how is this guy or this girl like this? And then you'll be able to plant the seeds and witness to them. And so we need to be doing that. Now there's strangers we meet. We need to plant the seeds and share the good news. But Jesus could do it himself, by the way, if he chose to. We know because he's done it before. And and I mentioned this at Sunday school, but who converted, who evangelized Saul of Tarsus? This evil, genocidal maniac of a Pharisee, rounding up Christians, having them imprisoned, having them killed. Who evangelized him? Jesus himself appeared in a vision and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Struck him blind. And then a few days later, Ananias baptized him. His his scales came off his eyes. Saul believed and was saved. And he became the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles. Could Jesus do that again? Could he show up to the president of China or the president of India or the president of the United States? Say, Joe, Joe, why do you persecute me? He could, all right? But what's he chosen to do? He's chosen to work through us. Think about that in Acts when Peter goes up on a rooftop in Joppa, I believe, or somewhere in in the book of Acts, and Jesus gives him a vision. Go and kill and eat the unclean animals you weren't, weren't supposed to eat before. And Peter says, no, Jesus, I'm not touching them. Jesus says, go and kill and eat the unclean animals. And Peter, once again, to the Lord of heaven and earth, says no. Three times he says no to Jesus. And he wakes up not realizing what's going on. But what, is, what do the animals, clean and unclean animals, represent? The clean and unclean nations. Under the old covenant, Israel couldn't eat anything because they were considered the clean nation. It was a foreshadowing. The other nations were cursed and evil. But in the new covenant... All nations are clean. And so those old food restrictions are gone. You can eat crab again. And thank God, because in Maryland, we eat a lot of crab. Uh, You can eat shrimp. You can eat bacon with your eggs again. You know, Noah, Abraham, they ate bacon with their eggs, by the way. There was no command not to eat it until Moses. All right? But God did it for a reason. He set apart Israel as the clean nation. Now all nations are clean. And so... We're to go and make the disciples of all nations. I, I got a little sidetrack of what I was going there. But the, uh, oh, Peter is told, you know, go and see this guy Cornelius in, in, this, uh, in this other city. And then an angel appears to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, there's a guy named Peter coming to tell you something. So Jesus gives a vision to Peter He gives an angel to Cornelius, but he doesn't save Cornelius until what? Peter shows up, shares the gospel, then the Holy Spirit opens Cornelius and his family's hearts. They believe and are saved. It's God's delight to work through you to bring about his goodness and grace into this world. Through your prayers and your holy life and your witnessing, you are the light. And what is the motto here at St. Stephen Reformed Church? You're a beacon on what? On a hill. You're the light for this community. And so the way that you live your life, the way that you share the gospel, the way that you pray to intercede 
is going to make a difference and hasten the coming day of God, which only God knows. There's a great mystery to that, and I can't explain it beyond that. But be about your father's business. Have done with the lesser things. Focus on why you're here today, to become more and more like Christ and to help make others more and more like Christ and hasten that day. And so God is good. God is, is faithful. And you know, he destroyed the world once. He's going to destroy the world again. But thank God, the new heavens and earth will never end. And that's a real hope that you can be encouraged by. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word today, that you are a light to us, Lord, that your word shines forth, that we, Lord, can know uh, the predictions of the holy prophets, that we, Lord, can know your commands to walk in a newness of life, to be a light, that we can know the grace of the gospel, that you so loved the world, you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish in that fire, but have eternal life, will not perish in hell, but have eternal life and dwell with you in a new heavens and earth throughout eternity, a world that will never end when that day of eternity comes. And so I pray you encourage us today, bless us today, and equip us for every good work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.